Welcome to Living Strong, the flip side of adversity with your host, Dr. Veerdra Jackson. On our program, we explore the flip side of every story. And when you open yourself up to both sides, you'll realize that there are life lessons, powerful tools, and so much more. Now, here is Dr. Veerdra Jackson. Hello, and welcome to Living Strong, the flip side of adversity. I am Dr. Veerdra Jackson, the CEO and creative behind Living Strong Consulting. And the work that we get to do often involves partnering and connecting with early childhood programs, whether it be Early Head Start or Head Start or just ECE community and field in general. And so I've gotten the opportunity to connect with this evening's guest co-host. And can I tell you, it is a breath of fresh air to connect with someone who has integrity behind their work. She is a woman who, when she speaks truth, she walks in the truth and she brings others along with her. I am talking about Dr. Marnie Aylesworth. And let me tell you a little bit about her. She is an experienced early childhood professional with a demonstrated history of working to support early childhood systems and professionals throughout Pennsylvania. She is skilled in nonprofit organizational work, early childhood education, educational leadership, public speaking, and curriculum development. Dr. Ellsworth has a history of building shared values within an organization and leveraging compassionate leadership and support, which enables her entire organization to thrive and feel valued. I've experienced that firsthand for myself. She focuses her work on the social and emotional wellness of early childhood professionals as they navigate a unique, diverse, and often challenging career. Additionally, she consults with organizations who want to engage in mindful leadership and wellness initiatives, which also includes offering yoga for leadership. I can't wait for her to tell you about that and embedding mindfulness into their culture. It has been a pleasure as we have worked together in not only the social emotional realm, but also many of you know, equity and justice and diversity work is a passion of mine. And it's wonderful when you are working with like-minded individuals that want equity, not only for the children and families, but also the professionals in the field. I welcome to our flip side conversation this evening, Dr. Marnie Ellsworth. Welcome, Marnie. Hi, Vidra. Thank you so much. I'm so humbled to be here with you. Um, I admire you and your work, and I'm just, I'm just very grateful. 
Oh, thank you so much. So I know those who have been following our social media and have been on the platform of Voice America have seen the title for today, The Adventures of the Crisco Kid. So I can't wait for us to understand that title. But help us understand, can you describe where you believe your flip side story started? Mm-hmm. Yes, thank you. Um, and I'll, I'll get to the Crisco kid in a minute. Um, but I, uh, I started thinking about my childhood experiences only recently in my adult life as actually traumatic. Um, so I grew up in, uh, with five, uh, four siblings, five of us total, and my mom and my dad, a very uh, poor rural community. Um, and, and the poverty really wasn't I mean, it wasn't the, the factor in the trauma, I don't think, because my mom always did such a great job of sort of protecting us from that and, and making things fun where she could. But it really came from my father's alcoholism. And, um, and I know your listeners know if they've, if they've ever experienced working or living with somebody with any kind of an addiction there's a lot that happens um, in the family dynamics when you're, you're coping with that. And what really stood out for me as I look back now um, was the, um, the secrecy. You know, we, we couldn't have friends over because uh, in fear that my father would be at the bottom of the steps, um, passed out or secrecy at school and couldn't share what was really going on. You just, you didn't talk about that then. I, I suspect there's still families who feel that way today. Mm-hmm. And, um, and a relationship that was really just not healthy with um, my dad, even though I loved him very much, we lost him this past December. But I was sitting in a, an ACEs training, an adverse childhood experiences training, maybe 10 years ago. And they started listing all of the reasons, uh, all of the, the categories that children could fit into in terms of trauma. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I hit seven of those <laughs> when I was a kid. And I started to cry because up until that point, I really did not think that I had a traumatic childhood. I never would have called it that. Um, and so that is when I really started to think about how it affected me. And I forgave my dad a long time ago. Um, and you know, I love him, love him very much, but I thought that was enough. And I only Mm -hmm. really recently realized it's not enough, uh, to just forgive. There's more to do. Yeah. And I just, so because the show itself is on an international platform, I don't want to skip over anyone who may not understand what ACEs are. Um, can you explain what, what is adverse childhood experiences. Yes, thank you. Um, Really, it is a, the simplest way to think about it is a list of experiences that can happen to a child that could cause trauma. And the more adverse childhood experiences one has, the more likely that child is to experience adverse effects as they get older. 
So things like having uh, an alcoholic or um, drug addicted parent, having a parent in um, incarceration, um, poverty, of course, is one, food insecurity. There's a long list. And really, the, the researchers have a, a um, formula that's figured out that says when you have one to three, you know, that's that's not great. But when you have seven to 12, that's going to increase your likelihood of having health issues when you get older, just having anxiety or depression, um, having trouble keeping jobs, things like that increase as your adverse experiences increase. I find it really interesting how as children um, in our younger years, we don't view it as adversity, can grow up not realizing its adversity and really begin to just create a life around something that actually could be categorized as trauma, but we view it as normal. Mm, mm. Yeah. yeah, that's hard. And um, it's hard to realize that. I think as a child, you know, we do that as a protective factor. We're mm-hmm. trying to, we're just trying to get along and survive and we want to be happy. And so I think it's our mind's way of helping us cope with those experiences. Uh, what I've realized though, is if we don't address them at some point as an adult, not only do they affect our health, which has certainly happened to me, it affects our mental health. I was uh, bulimic in college. Um, and you know, there are many other things that happened in my life that now I realize probably were prompted by my experiences. And then you get to a point where you're also unhealthy physically. It, Mm -hmm. you know, the mind and the body are very closely connected. They are tied together. (laughs) (laughs) They're so tied together. And I think about how even when you began to talk about the, the secrecy, and how often that's tied to shame mm-hmm. and the desire for control and how as adults that shows up in our adult years, but we don't always tie it back to the things as you just shared, we were trying to cope with in mm-hmm. our experiences, but now it becomes so tied to our narrative that we don't even realize that that's not who we were meant to be. So when you talk Mm. about your flip side story, would you say that the flip happened with your forgiveness? Where would you begin to pinpoint your flip experience? Yeah, I don't don't think it did um, because I didn't recognize all the impact it was having on me mentally and emotionally. I thought that that was my flip. <laughs> I thought, in fact, I said to my therapist several weeks ago, which means I still have one, <laughs> that um, I forgave them. What's going on? Why am I sick in my body? Why am I still anxious? What's going on? I forgave them so long ago, or my dad so long ago. And, um, and she said, because you haven't actually grieved your childhood, you haven't actually considered the impact that it's had on you moving forward. Um, and so while you can forgive your dad for, you know, anything that may have happened at that point, you haven't forgiven yourself for um, really, I don't, I, and it seems funny to say forgive yourself when you didn't really do anything wrong, but um, part of you feels like you might've been lost. Maybe you, you have created a different person because of that experience instead of the person you are meant to be. And it is hard to acknowledge that. Um, and it, it creeps up on you. 
When you just said, grieve your childhood, giving yourself space to mourn what happened versus what you would have wanted to happen, and not just push past that, not just push it down, mm-hmm. not just push it aside, but right. create space to grieve that. That's a loss. And right. people don't always recognize that grieving happens beyond physical death, that it's any form of loss. So did you set out to intentionally create this flip? Tell us something about, oh, so what actually happened? So I, well, I was becoming very physically ill, like things that we couldn't explain, acid reflux for no reason, um, feeling very tired, anxiety, sometimes um, depression, but mostly anxiety because I'm a control freak, uh, (laughs) which I'm working on. (laughs) Are we all raising our hands? How many people listening? Are you raising your hand? (laughs) Yeah. So, um, yeah, I would say I, I started feeling physically exhausted and ill, and there was no medical reason for it. And so I started looking into other alternative ways to address what was going on. I changed my nutrition. I started uh, my yoga instructor training and all of those things. And I I conduct um, mindfulness training, but I'm also, um, I train meditation. And so meditation is really what flipped the script for me. Um, It was this moment where I was um, with my husband now. Um, I had a a beta version, um, but I met- (laughs) I love that, the beta version. (laughs) I met my current husband about 11 years ago. And we were, we were dating and he would come and stay with me a couple of week, a uh, couple of nights out of the week. And when he was supposed to show up at my house, I knew it took exactly 48 minutes to get from his workspace to my home. And if he wasn't there, I got very anxious and it, it came out as though I was mad at him or didn't trust him or something was going on. But I realized because through meditation and mindfulness, I was actually bringing back memories, I started to think, where am I feeling this in my body? Well, it's right here. Where do, where do I remember this feeling from? And it was from waiting for my dad to come home at night when he was out at the bar and mm. knowing my mom was anxious and wanting him to come home and waiting for him to come home. And he, re- he didn't usually, he was going to the bar first. And so that same feeling came back into my stomach. Instead of thinking it was that, of course, your mind doesn't think that it goes back to what's happening right this moment. Mm -hmm. And that's when I realized it. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's a lot more I got to (laughs) do. There's more work to do. And I don't want to move past that moment too quickly because I think people believe that the trauma is only a memory, Mm -hmm. but It is a memory, but it is tied to a sensory-based memory, not just a cognitive memory. And if we begin to do the body work to recognize where is, where am I feeling this? And I love what you said. When did I, when was the first time I felt that? What, where or when did I feel that before? And begin to do the work, the brave work of going back into that memory. I can't imagine that that was an easy thing to do. 
No, it was, it was upsetting. And that's when I started thinking, I started beating myself up and thinking I'm broken. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't think I can move past this. It's been at that point, 45 years, I think. And I thought if I can't get past it, you know, after that long, and um, I'm still holding on to this, and I didn't even realize I was, I guess I just have to accept that this is who I am. And um, it wasn't until I started really talking with a counselor to realize that I can still change it. Yes, Mm -hmm. I can still change it. I think Mm -hmm. about how many people will just give up or give in and say, well, this is just how I am, when it doesn't have to be that way. We have the neuroplasticity as well as the body's ability to heal, to begin to do the work, Mm -hmm. but it does take work and it is uncomfortable work, but on the other side of that change experience, there's a whole new level of who you originally were meant to be. When did you realize your story had actually flipped? During counseling, I had an experience where I had um, brought together a group of women that um, I felt empowered by. They were strong, independent women who were successful in whatever their their realm was. And we had, I called them together because I thought I need to talk to other women who are in leadership. And we had our first meeting And I heard myself being compassionate, listening to them, not judging anything they said. And the the entire hour we spent together was, it was magical, which seems really silly. But I, I ended that meeting and I said to my husband, I feel like I was just myself. I was the me I was meant to be during that meeting. And, you know, I have been people would have categorized me prior to that as um, maybe rigid. I told you I've been a control freak. So there's, um, I I have been, I will admit I'm judgmental. I have been judgmental in the past. So all of those things disappeared and I became this other person. And I thought it's in there. I can do this. It's in me. (laughs) Maybe I was that all along, but I was hiding it. And that's where unwrapping the crap comes from, which I think we're going to talk about. Yeah. So you just queued it up. We're getting ready (laughs) to take a commercial break in a few moments. And when we come back, giving Marnie an opportunity, as she says, to unpack the crap. Like, what is that stuff that's getting in the way that actually isn't our authentic self, but it is a shroud or it is a cover. It is the alternative self that we've adopted because of the experiences we've been through or the story that someone else passed down to us. That's not our story. So if you would like an opportunity to unpack narratives like that, please check out our website, www.livingstrongllc.com. We on that website are looking for blog entries for fearless stories. You can check out the link to submit your fearless story. We're also on a journey of peace in the middle of the pieces, being able to register for our August 28th session with the WOW Sisters, the Women of Wellness, 
to be able to unpack what is peace and how can we walk in it, even in the middle of the pieces. Please, during this next commercial break, check out our website, and that's www.livingstrongllc.com. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Life is now in session. Are you present? We don't get a dress rehearsal in life. So why not grab every moment you can to grow? Join me every first Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern and 4 p.m. Pacific for our live webinars. We're creating a growth plan and unpacking the 15 invaluable laws of growth by John Maxwell. Instead of waiting for growth to just happen by accident, let's get intentional about creating a growth plan for you. Let's do it together. Log in to www.livingstrongllc.com and grab your spot for first Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern and 4 Pacific. And let's grow together. It's your time. This is Living Strong, the flip side of adversity with Dr. Veerdra Jackson. To reach the live show today, call into 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to info at livingstrongllc.com. Now, back to Living Strong, the flip side of adversity. Welcome back. If you haven't been logged in and you're just logging in, I am having a already powerful conversation that has been transparent, authentic, and encouraging with Dr. Marnie Aylesworth. She's sharing her story about how she was able to connect her childhood trauma to a place within her body to recognize she was walking out, not her authentic self, a self that wasn't who she was meant to be. And we were just beginning to unpack the crap, as you would say. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about that, Marnie. Right. So when I had this moment where I felt like I had just been super present, compassionate, non-judgmental, and realized I think that's my true self, even though I hadn't been acting that way for most of my life. Um, I had quite a bit of judgment. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought, you know, what, there's something under here. And as I talked with my counselor, started to realize that I had created this protective shell uh, because you know that's what you have to do when you're mm-hmm. a child and you're experiencing any kind of trauma. You sort of build up these layers around yourself to protect you. That those layers are judgment and um, self-criticism, you know, body dysmorphia. All kinds of things come 
with that trauma. And, and so I had to sort of peel all those layers back or unpack the crap from my childhood. And, um, you know, and it also gave me an opportunity to remember the great things I loved about my childhood, which I hadn't done for a while. You know, when people talked about my, my husband, when he would talk about his wonderful childhood, I would get mad. I felt cheated. Um, and so unpacking all of this really helped me recognize I had a wonderful childhood um, with trauma, of course. But thanks to my mom, you know, a lot of that was mitigated um, to the best of her ability. She was also experiencing trauma. We all were. Mm. And so um, we, we really learned to, as I realized that this was happening and there was a, there was a kind, compassionate, loving human being underneath all of that protection, it sort of freed me and it made a huge impact on the way I lead people too. And I have to say, Vidra, I, I have to just say the whole um, Crisco kid thing because I don't want to forget about it. Yes, eventually, I know. <laughs> People are just like the adventures of the Crisco kid. What does it, that mean? <laughs> doesn't make sense. But um, my, my dad, you know, lovingly and jokingly used to call me the Crisco kid. And I thought it was because I was like a, a little um, cowgirl or something. I thought it was a great thing. I later learned when I was a teenager, it was because he was calling me fat in the can. Crisco is fat in the can. And he was calling me fat in the can. Um, and that, believe it or not, affected me. And I know he had no malintent by saying that, but it was devastating to me. And, you know, I'm, I'm afraid it may have led to some of my body dysmorphia, my bulimia um, in college. But um, and so that's kind of where I think, you know, you, you just because he said that and it was in kindness and not it with malintent doesn't mean you have to believe everything you hear about yourself. <laughs> and that the hook line to this episode, that second part freeing individuals to recognize that you do not have to take on somebody else's story about you, but it's a process to let those, the things that stick on us and in us, it's a process to let those things go and they impact our relationships with others. What would you say happens to your relationships when you begin that process of creating the flip and then experiencing the flip? What did you notice about your relationships? Well, I, I, there two things. I noticed some people um, didn't like it. Yeah, they didn't recognize me, for example, or didn't it didn't match. Um, what they expected of me. Other people um, were very like, yes, I've always known you like this. Like, like it must be a part they of me that it. I didn't see, but they mm. did. Yes. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. two things would happen. And, um, and it is a long process. Like I have, <laughs> I have two things pasted on the mirror in my bedroom that I repeat to myself every single morning. Um, I am worthy. I am beautiful. I am fit. I am healthy. And um, the other thing is a bus. It's a little picture of a bus. And um, it's a metaphor. Essentially, I have to tell myself every time a negative thought comes into my head, whether it's judgment about somebody else or mostly judgment about myself, I have to say, um, I'm the driver of my bus, right? 
not my thoughts. I am the driver of my bus. And when one of those thoughts get on, and I'll use a common one for me, which is you're so fat, right? That's a, a thing that goes through my head all the time. Mm -hmm. When that comes into my head, I say, hello, old friend. I know you well. We've been together a long time, but you're going to sit in the back of the bus. I can't get rid of that thought. That thought is always going to be in the back of my mind, but it's to replace that thought with some more positive, affirming thoughts that I work on every single day. You just shared a skill that actually in my own journey of meditating, I've gotten to a place where I um, read scripture, devotion, and meditate first thing in the morning before I put my feet on the floor mm. because people would be surprised, but in my past, I suffered from anger. I had a horrible temper. I was short-tempered. I was easily triggered. And I, I navigated just being angry and feeling like there was more that I wasn't getting, but I deserved more. And so I operated from an angry place most of the time, which also made me create walls in relationships that not only was I blocking people out, but I was keeping my authentic self in and behind that wall as well. And as I, I learned in the process of really meditating and getting, st getting st still, that it's not trying to get rid of the thought and that that was mind-blowing to me. I'd spent so many years being upset that this thought keeps showing up. When am I going to get rid of the thought? Instead of pushing it away, pull it in close and, and call it what it is. I know who you are. Mm -hmm. and, and for me, I often say, I know who you are. I know why you're here. You served a purpose at one time, but I no longer need you. Mm -hmm. And let it go. I, like I let that. you go. And and recognizing that it's not just pushing it away, what you just shared, it because it's a part of our story, it's a part of our memories, it's a part of our sensations, but it doesn't have to get in the driver's seat. Yeah. And it's it's a it's a message from your body. Every time we get angry or um, any have any strong emotion, it's usually an indicator of something else, not whatever it is that's right there in front of you, but something. And it doesn't have to be as dramatic as an alcoholic father. It could have been a, it could have been a bad boss. It could have been a lot of other things from your past. But um, usually anger is a sign that you should look deeply at it and figure out where is it really coming from? You are so right. So I want to get back to my question. Okay. So how does that, oh. that flip impact relationships, either in the process of discovering the flip or after the flip? Mm -hmm. Well, I think um, I had to make some decisions about who I wanted to keep in my life um, and let go of friends who weren't seeing the me that I knew I was at this point and really pare down my friend list to people who were genuine and authentic because I found that authenticity was really important to me at that point. Once I had flipped, I really didn't want to have anybody in my life who wasn't authentic. And so it ended up um, ending some friendships and some relationships. 
it also strengthened my relationships in my professional life. Uh, because I, I think authenticity is the number one um, key factor in leadership. And uh, I, had to, I had to apologize to people for behaviors and things that I had done and said prior to the flip. And I had to rebuild trust, to be honest with you, because I wasn't my true self and I wasn't behaving like a true leader. And I had to come back from that. That is... As, as leaders listening, recognizing that you can be vulnerable with your people and still lead them and give, giving them an opportunity to watch you grow and change also frees them to recognize that they don't have to show up perfect, that they have the space to grow and that you're, you're literally modeling for them the process of moving beyond wherever you're stuck that you don't have to stay there and you don't have to continue to carry the mask or the inauthentic self Mm, mm, the mask yeah that's right (laughs) that's right and i'm telling you being authentic is not always comfortable um and it doesn't resonate with everybody there are people who are in a place where um being as authentic as I am, isn't comfortable for them. <laughs> and so they tend to kind of pull away from me. And all I can, all I can do is be my true self, try and self-correct where I can if I think I've maybe gone a little too far. But, you know, also recognize I can't be everything for everybody. And um, this is the path I'm on. And I hope I'm modeling it because I do share all my foibles and failures uh, along the way, which I think is important. Um, because it's not easy. It's not easy. So you actually just answered my next question because I was curious with so much work that you have invested on yourself and in yourself, you have committed a great deal of time and process. Would you say that once you have experienced the flip side, that it is easy or it feels easier Absolutely. My initial reaction is yes. I feel it is because I find it's almost like an, an epiphany. I say apostrophe because it makes, it makes me laugh. It's a hook movie. It's a reference. But um, I had an epiphany. And once you realize, oh, I don't have to be the way I, I thought I was supposed to be or the way I thought I was raised or whatever you think. And you realize that you have this freedom all of a sudden to be um, powerful and brave um, and also um, confident that, well, there's no choice after this. Before it was this faux me, and now there's this real me. There's no other option. This is the real me. So now you're, you're kind of stuck with it and you have to figure out how to make that work. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And so how do you actually sustain the flip side of the story? Hmm. Well, uh, I, I would say counseling um, for mm-hmm. people who, you know, that aligns with their, their philosophy. It's, it was really important for me. Um, definitely for me, yoga, but I would say any physical movement, right? Um, being healthy and eating healthy and putting into your body the things that you know are nutritious for your body um, because that's your soul. Your body is your soul and you feed it um, with love. And then I would say for me, it's meditation, but it's mindfulness. And that can look a lot of different ways for a lot of different people. It can be prayer. It can be 
it can be exercise or listening to music, any place where you can be with your thoughts and listen to them and then, you know, kind of move on from there and, mm-hmm. and let it go, as you said earlier. So I know that your doctorate, or at least your dissertation, was tied to some elements around around mindfulness. Mm-hmm. And what I find to be powerful in this moment, from my understanding of mindfulness, it's an opportunity to operate from the present. And as you have shared your story, that so much of our past can continue to show up in the present and we get distracted. We think we're living in the present when actually we are just walking out an old story. Mm. And so can you give us your definition of what mindfulness is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I do subscribe to John Kabat-Zinn's definition, which is really paying attention in a particular moment on a particular thing without judgment. And for me, what it means in in the real words, if we're not using a definition, it really just means that I am giving my mind space to think about just what's going on in this very second, whether that's my breath or I'm thinking about um, the blue sky, but nothing at all like anytime I'm planning or worrying or stressing, that's not present thinking, right? Because you're either thinking about the past or you're thinking about what's coming. So, and, and we're wired, you know, we are, we've trained ourselves to be distracted and to be mindless uh, with technology and, and all the things that our society expects us to do on a daily basis in terms of keeping up with the work. Um, and so for me, it's about taking a break. And a, when you, the best way for me to liken it is think about laying down on your bed and saying, oh, my body's tired. I'm letting everything go. It's the same for your mind except you really have to let everything go. (laughs) Mm. And that's harder in the mind than it is in the body. (laughs) I know from my own experience, as I shared earlier, a prayer, devotion, scripture, first thing in the morning for me is huge. And and for me, that's my mindfulness moment. Mm -hmm. But what I've had to learn is how to turn off the monkey brain. Mm. (laughs) Actually spend the moment creating stillness in my body and in my mind so that I can develop the muscle memory that when I'm not in the bed, I call, I get in the driver's seat in that mm-hmm. moment and, mm-hmm. and hold myself accountable to this. I'm operating in a past thought that is triggering me, creating that muscle memory to slow my mind down. Mm-hmm. And, and I call it... <laughs> I've heard it called the monkey brain because it literally it will jump all over the pl- all over the place in the morning. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'll bet. Yeah, and I I really want to. I know we have a few minutes, and I want to share maybe when we come back about my failings with mindfulness mm-hmm. because it can create anxiety, especially for somebody who has had any kind of trauma in their life, childhood or adult. And um, there's a there's you know ways to go about it, but it it's it's work, it's practice, as you said, muscle memory. I so appreciate the fact that you're going to unpack that when we come back from this break, because I think people will um, 
have a self-talk or self-shame, start shaming themselves because they feel like they're failing at mindfulness or they're failing at something <laughs> as simple as breathing. Like I can't even breathe right. <laughs> and it's not, it's not an opportunity to shame yourself. There's also actually freedom in the process um, if you will give yourself space to that. So when we come back from our next commercial break, this will be an opportunity for us to really dig into the healing part of Marnie's story and, and hear about what she's working on now as she continues to be a leader and a force to impact early childhood programs, the field, and other leaders. And we'll hear a little bit about her business. So <laughs> please stay with us. And again, log into our website, www.livingstrongllc.com to find out the things that we are doing currently that is supporting the early childhood field as well as the K-12 um, school community. We will be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Life is now in session. Are you present? We don't get a dress rehearsal in life. So why not grab every moment you can to grow? Join me every first Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern and 4 p.m. Pacific for our live webinars. We're creating a growth plan and unpacking the 15 invaluable laws of growth by John Maxwell. Instead of waiting for growth to just happen by accident, let's get intentional about creating a growth plan for you. Let's do it together. Log in to www.livingstrongllc.com and grab your spot for first Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern and 4 Pacific. And let's grow together. It's your time. This is Living Strong, the flip side of adversity with Dr. Veardra Jackson. To reach the live show today, call into 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to info at livingstrongllc.com. Now, back to Living Strong, the flip side of adversity. Welcome back. I hope that you have been gaining as many nuggets as I have from this conversation. This has been one in which I've actually had to think about my own practice, my own desire to show up in authentic places and spaces, and even reflecting on Marnie tapped into as leaders, giving our staff who follow and watch us, giving them the space and the freedom to make mistakes, to grow in spaces as they watch us as leaders do the same. 
And so your past, your last few segments of our conversation sparked some questions from some of our listeners. And as I take a a look at one of the comments from one of our listeners, Latoya Thompson, she actually was on our show a couple of weeks ago. She's an author and an educator, and she talked about the two sides of dirt (laughs) And so she asked, Latoya Thompson asked, as we consider narratives and how they shape our identity or who we perceive ourselves to be through the perceptions of others, what advice would you share to help people move from those frameworks of the past to create a new mindset of who they can become. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I said, that's an amazing question. Um, and I hope I can do it justice. From, from my perspective, it is looking for clues. Um, we're always, our true self is always there and trying to be shown and trying to be seen and heard heard especially. And so for me, it was looking for clues and paying attention to them. So when I had that great experience of working with a bunch of women and feeling like I had just behaved as myself, if I had ignored that feeling, I wouldn't have moved forward with my purpose. But when you or when you look at your own trauma or your own experiences, and not necessarily the things people said to you, but just your experiences, and you pull out any of the things that you've done in the past that really fired you up and fueled you for for passion. Follow those little cues and listen to yourself. Trust your gut. Your body knows better than your mind. Um, And so that would be my my advice. Wow. Pay attention to those small cues. I've actually gotten into the practice most recently to really listen to the small voice and not just move past it. Is there? There's probably something in that moment m- more times than not. Um, and for people of faith, I, I call it the Holy Spirit is just telling me in that moment to to pause and actually lean in and listen. And how often does the world, the rush, the pace, the grind? of life have us so focused on trying to grind something out instead of slowing down and paying more attention. Yes. Oh, it's so good. That's the key. And that's, that's where mindfulness comes in, right? It trains your brain to start paying attention in the silence and, and almost cherishing that silence. Mm -hmm. It can be very scary in the beginning. Um, And so I said, I would share a story of my failure with mindfulness. I think it's important because people feel like they can't do it. And the reason we start with breath, usually when we first start with mindfulness is because it's most accessible and noticeable to everybody, no matter where they are. And it's something that you can't, you know, do later or wait and do it tomorrow. It's something that's always happening with you. So you have no choice to be present if you're thinking about your breath. But uh, I went to a a meditation practice in public with my husband. And uh, it was a room of maybe 10 people. It was a small room in a bookstore in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And we were in the front of the room. And I, I was 
first time ever. And I was going to nail it. I was going to do this meditation like it was my job because that's, that's the mentality I used to have. I am perfect. I must be perfect. And so went in there. I'm like, I'm going to do this so great. And so this lovely um, um, monk was actually leading it. And she was leading us through a common practice, which is breathe in white cleansing light. And when you breathe out, imagine you're breathing out this thick, dark smoke and it's all the negative energy, right? So I'm like, okay, in with the white light, out with the dark smoke. And now again, this dark smoke is coming out like, yes, I'm getting all this bad stuff out of me. And I'm going through it about four times. I'm like, oh, oh my gosh. I grabbed my husband's hand. And I said, I gotta go. He's like, what? I'm like, I have to go. And so I got up, I went out, found the bathroom and I threw up and I didn't go back in. I was clammy. I was pale. I was cold. I went out and sat in the car until my husband came out and I, I, I gave up. I was like, this isn't Mm. for me. In fact, you know what? Why are you trying to change me? I am a very energetic type A personality and this stuff is not for me. And I thought, nope, not for me. And it wasn't for about six months that I tried and tried and tried Mm. again And I I still had a few anxious moments, um, but I pushed through it because I felt like there's something on the other side that I need to Mm -hmm. find out what that is. And so I just kept practicing and eventually it became part of me. Wow. And as I think about, I've had this conversation um, a couple of times with people when I'm coaching them, that this work experience, that the work that we're doing on ourselves, don't expect it to be all flowers and sunshine. Mm-hmm. You, you literally are digging into the dirt of our past, the stuff that is yucky and, and grimy, and that to pull that out, it it will your body will respond to it, but it's not for you to give up and say that that's not for me. It's actually an opportunity for us to identify what what can I do to keep moving forward, even if it isn't a huge leap, just incremental, consistent practice of moving forward. I'm curious how in your moving forward, how does the work that you do now tied to your leadership, your mindfulness, the yoga, how has that inspired purpose in you? Really in two ways. One, in my organization, which is a nonprofit organization that supports the field in early childhood. And we have a staff of 115 here um, in the organization. And it, it changed the way I operated with other human beings. So uh, it changed the way I interacted with people. It changed my presence with people and my compassion and my uh, setting aside of my judgment. And that in turn changed my relationships with um, the human beings that I'm uh, honored to work with. Um, it also changed the way I realized we build other leaders because you cannot, in my, in my humble opinion, um, we all have something in our past. It doesn't have to be trauma. It doesn't have to be, you know, um, you don't have to think it was big, but it doesn't matter. There's things in our past that affect how we lead people. And if we're not willing to look at ourselves as leaders and dig in a little deeper, then you're never really going to get to the place where true leadership is and true authenticity is because you're still hiding behind something or not looking in the mirror. And that, that means there's, there's a, a smidge of inauthenticity. 
And so that's how it's kind of grown my, my work in that area. And I've resonated so much with yoga when I went through teacher training and the philosophy of yoga and mindfulness, which is all kind of goes along together. It changed the way I lead because I was standing on the mat one day and the instructor said, what are you doing with your body right now? Are you striving to get into the, um, into the position, into the posture? Are you, think about how you feel about yourself. And I was like, ah, oh, yes, I'm pushing. I need, just like I did at the mindful practice. And it turned out, and she said, what happens in life is replicated on the mat. And I was like, wow. whoa, that's heavy. Uh, I obviously am a perfectionist. I'm pushing myself. I'm hard on myself, which makes me hard on others. And all of that happened on the mat because it happens in life. And I looked at my leadership and I thought, my God, I need to change some things. And so mm. I, wa- I started trying to bring that to other people through Be Hip Yoga and leadership cultivation. So tell us, we have about three minutes left. Tell us about Be Hip Yoga. I love the name. (laughs) Right. So if you don't know me, I had a hip replacement about a month after I um, earned my yoga certificate in uh, teacher training. And I was devastated, right? It It ruined me for a good week. I was crying. I was upset. A lot of wonderful people, including my husband, whose idea was to call it Be Hip, um, and and kind of own it. You know, I'm a little hippie at heart anyway. I had a hip replacement. Why not call it Be Hip Yoga? Um, And so I started uh, a consulting organization where I link all of the um, skills that I learned in yoga, in mindfulness, in pranayama, which is a breathing practice, and also all my leadership um, skills, building values within an organization. It combined it all to create um, an offering for any leader who's interested in digging into their own crap. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Wow. Marnie, I so appreciate your transparency, your authenticity, and your wisdom. Mm -hmm. I feel like those who have been able to listen to this episode have journeyed through your backstory, but have been able to understand how we don't have to live in the past. You are able to tap into your now, but it will take work. But continue to lean into the practice to find your place of being present, whatever that looks like for you. But be willing to do the work. Because again, the hook line to the adventures of the Crisco Kid is that you do not have to allow somebody else's story about you be the story that you tell you about you. I love it. I love it. So... I can't believe how fast an hour goes by, but this has been an amazing conversation. Thank you so much, my friend. Thank you. Yes. And so we have encountered another flip side story, and we look forward to you logging in again, same time, same place next week, Thursday, 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thank you for being a part of our Living Strong, the flip side of adversity. We'll see you next week.
Thank you for tuning in to Living Strong, the flip side of adversity. Please join your host, Dr. Veerdra Jackson, for another edition of our show next Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a great week.